to the unity of the faith. We've been talking about the fivefold office, getting to the unity of the faith. I want to talk to you for a minute about why we talk about this stuff. Why doesn't God just do it? You know, I mean, if, if it's real, why does somebody have to stand up there and talk about it? That, that kind of takes away from, you know, if it was real, God would just do it, right? <laughs> I mean, if you've been around, and, you know, maybe you haven't, but if you've been around a whole lot, you've heard people say things like that. Um, you got to understand this principle. I want to teach this to you if you haven't heard it. Um, God doesn't talk about truth. All right. I know the Bible mentions truth. Truth is a human word. Okay. God doesn't mention truth. And the reason in heaven they don't say the word truth is because there's no false. You understand with God, it's life. It's who he is. There's nothing false. And even in terms of truth from God's perspective, it's only light. Anything false is called darkness. God is life. You understand in heaven where he is? There's, he's never had this phenomenon you've all had where you look at something outside yourself and you have to decide if it's true or false. That is unique to you. Never happened to him. You understand? When the Bible says in the beginning, it's not talking about God. It's talking about the beginning of creation. God has always been. You understand? Got to begin to understand. That's why the Bible says in the beginning was life, right? All right, stay with me. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. All right, the thing of it is, is nobody could understand light because nobody had life. You can't get life, all right, because you're spiritually dead. So men were lost. And we can equate light to truth. Enlightenment means you now know what we call the truth. All right? God, he don't call it truth. He don't have any falsehood. It's just life. Eternal life is eternally knowing God. When you know God, okay, <laughs> it's really above what we think about. But when you know God, you know his will, his counsel, his plan. And, and by the way, all those things, they're not separate from him. They are him. Now with us, there are plans and things that are separate from who we are. And they rely on other people. You got to understand, again, God never had that happen. Okay? Everything he's doing is his will and counsel. Everything he's doing it comes from in him. It doesn't require anybody else. He's never had that experience. So he doesn't speak like we do. Is that true or false? God said that's either light or dark. If it's light, it's in the life. It's in me. Not, it's got to go. Right? So we, you, you have to understand then, that with men, with men, when he gave men rights to have thoughts, independent thoughts on their own and to take action on their own without forcing it. Does that make sense? Which you all do every day. What that dictated, what God dictated in that is that the only way men could be brought to who he is is through light. You cannot force it on anyone. 
The only thing that changes a man, a human being with a living soul, right? Right to choice is light. And they either receive light or they reject light. And in doing so, they show who they are. You understand? That's why preaching is the method. And the Antichrist is telling people, oh, we don't need any organized religion. We don't need any preaching. I don't want nobody preaching at me. I don't want anybody teaching to me. I know God just as much as the next guy. They're denying the Christ and what he has brought to this earth. And it's a shame because ignorant people, and I just mean simply that don't understand light. They, don't, they haven't been enlightened. That makes them ignorant. I'm not saying they're, you know. But ignorant people don't understand the plan of God. And they allow people who do and have rejected it to turn them against his way. Because it sounds good. It tickles your ears. I'm not listening to anybody. I'm going to find truth on my own. Right? Yeah. All right. So the thing of it is then, men... It has to come through preaching and teaching because that's the way light comes. You are enlightened by what you hear and what you see. And that's why Jesus came, the word as a manifestation. Because we were spiritually dead, we didn't have life. So we could not know God. But we did still have a soul that can make a choice, right? Amen? Having a soul that can make a choice, we could still choose God without 100% knowing God based on what we could hear and what we can see because those are external or fleshly means. They weren't dead. Men were using those day in and day out to make decisions. God is so wise in His plan. He sent the word in a manifestation that could still reach us even though we were spiritually dead. Jesus spoke and it was life because he was filled with the life. Does that make sense? And so we couldn't on our own be alive and understand. But because he was there in the flesh, living life and speaking life, people could choose life. Amen. So he was a pattern of that. And the first ones he chose, the disciples, or excuse me, the apostles of the Lamb, he shared that anointing with them in the level that he shared it, you know, with each one. And they went forth carrying out his mission. Right? Amen. So you understand then why these things have to be taught. The hard things that many people deny to preach they deny to teach many leaders in churches if you will they they don't want to get you know they have a hard time teaching about money have a hard time teaching about the ministry and authorities and things like that because they're afraid the people will look at them like they're trying to build their own platform but what they're doing is denying the people light truly they are hurting the body of christ because the only way the body of christ can come to this knowledge is on their own and understand, the Word of God mixed with the Spirit of God is light. Does that make sense? Everybody know that, right? Because think about it. In Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, they had the Word of God, but they didn't understand it. 
Does that make sense? They had the word of God. Genesis 1, 28. Go and, go and multiply. Go and fill the earth. They had the word. It didn't make any sense to them. Why? Because the word alone is not life. The word plus the spirit it's given in is life. Right? That's why there was a tree there called the tree of life. Even though they were alive on a very low level and they had the word, it wasn't enough to reveal what the word really meant. Life is a revealer of the character of God. When you have life and you have even greater life, you have greater revelation of who God is and what he's doing. Right? That's why you get born again and you're a baby. You may have the Word of God. You don't know what to do with it. You misinterpret it more than you interpret it correctly. It's the truth. You do. But if you ask God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you already have the Word, but you're misinterpreting it, right? Don't understand it. But you ask God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and what do you get? A greater dose of life And what does that show you? All of a sudden the word begins to jump off the page because you don't just have the word now, you have the spirit the word was given in, right? Amen? It makes sense. And then what God has done is there are certain people he chose on the earth that have a double dose of that. They are gifts back to the church to reveal the word. They work among the church to bring the church up to their understanding of the faith, the unity of the faith. They equip the church for ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 is about. Is this pretty clear? That's what it is. That's their full-time job, their occupation among the people is to do that day in and day out. That's what they do, right? I want to flesh this out because light needs to come to the church. Now, Apostle Paul made some mistakes. Some of you are probably about to jump out of your skin because you think no ministers made mistakes in the Bible. But he made some big mistakes along this line. He learned from it, and he actually confessed to it. Now, I want to show you why it's so important that we teach and light comes forth. Because he didn't understand light. He thought he could get around it. There was a certain area, and it was the area of money. And he thought that if he worked and he made his own money, more people would come to the Lord. But later on, he realized, he, he even questioned, he said, have I sinned in not, in not requiring you to pay me for my ministry among you? And what he was saying is, I see that, I see now nobody has been changed because I didn't teach the doctrines and give you a chance to understand it, give you a chance to receive the truth. Instead, I sought to subvert it because I thought you wouldn't like the way it would sound and it would drive you away, right? Now, on some level, it would drive people away. It would. He had to gauge the timing of it, but he almost waited too late, and that's what he was confessing. Sad thing is you have people today preaching that that people ought to still work like Paul did. They don't even have the revelation that he realized he messed up. (laughs) That's terrible. That's not to say, you understand he was in a unique situation, right? Nobody sent him for the most part. God sent him, but nobody partnered with him. Now, 2,000 years later, the church is still teaching that that's the way we ought to do it. Man, that's crazy. 
many churches teach us the way we all do it. That could, nothing could be crazier than that. You're supposed to learn from mistakes. You're supposed to learn as you go forward and get better, right? So what should we know now? If we send out evangelists or we send out apostolic church planners, we should send them so they don't have to worry about money, right? <laughs> Amen. But the church can't do that unless light comes in to the body of Christ and they realize it takes money. Because you still have a lot of people in churches that think church ought to be free. Those are those, are those Cain people and especially the Korah people. You understand that, right? What was the, we're teaching this as a kind of a series now. What was, what are, what's, the, what's the mark of the Korah rebellion people? You know what I'm talking about? Right, that's the, that's the lay ministry crowd. Yeah, Cora was the lay ministry crowd. The ones that say, well, is really, the preacher any different than me? If he can preach, I can preach. It's just that, uh, except it's just simply not true because they all got destroyed because God said, you're messing with my church. You're messing with my church, right? Why? Why would God say that? Is it, it just, he just likes somebody's shoes better than another person's shoes? Why would he say that? Because the truth is, Korah didn't have a grace that it took to do the job. I hope you've come to that realization. That's why. It's not that God has something against somebody called a lay person and that he picked somebody else. It's, not, it's that God gave grace to the fivefold office to reveal the word of God on a different level. I had a lady sitting in here one day and she heard us teaching. She'd been coming here a little while. And she called me before she went out. She said, I can't wait till I get the revelation you get. She had just gotten filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, uh, okay, well, you may not. And she said, well, what do you mean? I've got the Holy Spirit now. I said, well, sister, this is what I do for a living. God called me to this. If you could do it, what would be the point in me doing it? And why would he set me apart and have me do this? Would be, what would be the point? I mean, you do what you do and I do what I do. Why would I covet what you do? She'd never, it didn't make sense. What do you mean, covet? I said, yeah, this is what I do. It's my unique thing in the body of Christ. Why would you want what I have like it's nothing? You would take it from me and I can't make a living for my family? And you would continue to make your living while you were robbing me? Many people never thought about it like that. But that's what it is. God wouldn't do that because he's too good. But buddy, let me tell you, people, they'll do it. They'll do it, right? You hadn't thought about it. Okay, well, this, this is what Apostle was facing at almost every turn he faced people who were false apostles who sought to take his job. And he really didn't care because the truth is he could have gone back to his old job. What bothered him was he knew there was a grace they didn't have and he knew it wasn't God's plan. And that's what really burned within him. Matter of fact, you got to understand, Apostle Paul continued to work. And there was only one reason that he preached and worked among these people. He did it so he could boast that he did both because they were too lazy to do that. And he knew, he felt, excuse me, 
Like that was the only way he could block the people from following them as well. Do you understand there is such a warfare in leadership, false leadership and true leadership, that he literally wore himself out day and night and was willing to do that so the people wouldn't be led the wrong way. Later on, he questioned, did I sin in doing that? Between him and God. But based on what we may see, it wasn't the best course of action. At least, at very least, he should have been teaching truth to them so light could come instead of trying to go around it. And I think he found that out. We'll talk to him and ask him one day. All right? And I'm sure he'll ask me about all my problems. <laughs> you know, so I'm not, I'm not saying that like he had these major problems that we don't have, right? Okay. But um, so... Wednesday, if you had a chance to listen, we talked about Jude's three types who fight against oneness in the body of Christ or the unity, the fivefold ministry bringing us to unity, right? Cain's type, which is an offense type. You know, Cain took offense at his brother because of his brother's job, right? And so then we talked about Balaam, who's the false prophet in the bunch. And, um, you know, Balaam was willing to preach whatever somebody wanted to hear for a paycheck, basically. You know, and we said, got to be careful of that, too. And really, you got to understand, and, and I hope you understand this. Please do. It tends to all fall on Balaam. You know, but remember the scripture that says there'll be a time when they'll call to themselves with itching ears people who'll say what they want to hear. That's the same thing. King Balak called Balaam and said, I want you to tell me what I want to hear. Now, yeah, Balaam was wrong in that he was willing to do it for a fee. But you have to understand, it's just as wrong to be the one who doesn't know what God wants to say, but dictate what is said. And we have to be careful in our churches today because of the way we're structured in a lot of ways, that we're not only hiring. I'm not talking about here, okay? Because we've undone, we've done away with all that junk. But a lot of churches still have um, pastoral search committees, and they're based on their denominational educational requirements and things like that. We gotta be careful with that because. Are we not calling somebody and saying, if you'll say what we say you should say, then you can work here and we'll pay you. I'm just, I'm not saying it is every time, but by goodness, we better be careful because I'm telling you that line's razor thin. It's razor thin, okay? When the sheep are calling the shepherd and paying the shepherd, as long as the shepherd says what the sheep agree with, whoo, that's close, man. I don't think my hair is that thin we got to be careful with that one, you know. And it compounds itself when you realize the majority of Christ Christians in the United States still attend churches with that government structure. Okay? The majority still attend churches with that government structure, okay. So, you know, just to know that. And so <clears throat> Cain, Balaam, and then, of course, Korah, you know, the, the anybody-can-do-it crowd. Anybody can start a church, right? 
anybody can preach, anybody can teach. You don't need a grace from God. Oh, the whole congregation's holy. Well, of course they are, but they're not all called to preach. Well, the whole congregation, that's what Cora said. The whole congregation's holy. Yeah, but they're not all called to teach. All right? Amen? So, but you realize there are denominations heavy on this, right? Well, they don't pay their leaders anything. And they're proud of it. They, they actually, it's like a badge of honor to them, you know? They don't pay their 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 apostle or their prophet or their evangelist or you know generally the pastor. They don't pay them anything on purpose. And they say you know we we believe in work we believe in work yeah okay well hey. You you don't understand the difference in spiritual work, right? And and material work or natural work. All right. That's sad. Said, because how much time does 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 a pastor have more time in a day than the other guy? So how much time is he supposed to divide between spiritual work and other work? I mean, if you have a job, you still have to work your eight or ten, right? So how much time is he putting in on spiritual work? Now, if he's the one that's supposed to reveal this and put it together and equip everybody else and bring them to unity, how's he going to do that? How's she going to do that? See, what that really is is denying there's a grace. It's, it comes down to the same thing every time. It denies that God graces his leaders and basically says, it's just, you know, they're just like us. Well, they are all the way up till different talents and giftings. It's always amazing to me how somebody, nobody will apologize for being great in business that's a Christian and being able to make several million dollars a year but they want to deny the pastor the right to have his spiritual grace. But they have their grace. <laughs> Amen. Does it make sense? I'm not talking on my own behalf. I don't have these problems because we've been doing light a long time. Okay? And, and it's been unabashed, unashamed light. Okay? We've just been trying to teach. But in places where that hadn't happened and people have been controlled by elders or deacons or boards of trustees and things like that, ooh, it's tough, man. It's tough. Now, I will say it does still fall on the shepherd. He has to have the courage to stand up and do it. He has to have the courage. And if he doesn't, he needs to get another job. Really. Because he's not bringing light. Right? It's going to catch up with him sooner or later. It may even result in judgment from... You know, so I don't mean like hell. I'm not saying condemnation. I just mean judgment in life, right? So um, we do see pastors a good, you know, sometimes that depart what we know seems early. <laughs> and you would have to ask why, you know, like why would that be the case? So actually people don't ask why, but we should, you know. All right, so here's the premise. This is what I wanted to uh, share with you. Um, there are a lot of ways that the enemy tries to block the unity of the faith. And when he blocks the unity of the faith, he's blocking the fivefold ministry from bringing the church to the unity of faith. These are two of the ways that he does it, okay? Uh, lack of honor and lack of money. Lack of honor and lack of money. We'll talk about these. So, But here's my premise today. and we, I, want, I want you to understand this because I don't know how much the Lord wants me to expound on this, but I'm going to. Some. 
there's just so much that needs to be said, and I don't, I don't hear anybody, for the most part, I don't see a lot of people saying it, so it needs to be said. The premise is that the ministry of the Word is primary. Okay? The ministry of the Word is primary. If it were not, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it wouldn't say He's given first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then on down the line, miracles, tongues, helps, governments. And I want to say this, and you can turn there if you want to. I'm not turning there because I know pretty much what it says. But let me just say this. This is not necessarily how we allow ourselves to be influenced, if that makes sense. And it's also not necessarily how the body of Christ sends their support. I would guess, and this is a guess, but I would guess that more people in the body of Christ send money to helps ministries than do to the apostolic ministry. When I say helps, we're talking about feeding, clothing, things like that, housing, okay? Great things, great things, all right? But again, they will do that, but they won't send that same type of gift to a person that's ministering in the Word, okay? And the reason being is they say, well, you know, I see that. That's, that's necessary. It is. But understand, if you take care of the Word and light comes, you don't have to worry about the other. That's why the church is always hand-to-mouth, 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 begging, borrowing, trying to steal this one to pay that one because we didn't take care of the primary and we've put the secondary ahead. We follow miracles. We follow helps. All this kind of stuff, we put all our time and effort a lot of times into those things, right? And we haven't focused on making sure light comes to everybody in the body of Christ. So, I, I, I would just, I would just, this is something that's on my heart. I can't get rid of it. So, I'm going, I'm going to just mention this, all right? Not, again, not trying to incriminate anybody. We at this ministry, we're fairly small in terms of worldly standards. We get, we get um, letters asking for money from helps ministries. Okay. Now, I don't see anybody really shocked yet, so let me let that sink in. Ministry of the Word is having helps ministries ask them for money. I mean, ministry of helps is having, asking word ministry for money. You've never thought about that. Most people never thought about that before. But again, remember, apostles, prophets, evangelists, or pastors, or teachers, and then these other things. Helps ministries. Great ministry. Has to be done. Amen? But you got helps reaching up and saying, can I have some of this? Can I have some of what you use to minister the word? That's how, I mean, we get five or six different requests from different organizations. One of those organizations, I kid you not, their CEO makes almost 700000 a year as the head of that organization. And if they're sending out things to us asking for money, I'm sure they're sending them to every church that has a cor- that's incorporated in America. 
I looked it up this morning. And by the way, that was in, I think, 20, 2019, 2020. So it could be even more. And that person has made as much as $1.2 million a year as a CEO of a helps ministry. Right? I'm just going to say, I'm not, again, not trying to incriminate anybody. That's up to God to do whatever he wants to do. I'm just, I'm just delivering light. That's what I'm trying to do. That's my job, okay? And until this bothers people, these things can't get fixed. And the reason, let me just say, the reason that's, that's allowed to continue and nobody says anything is because they don't have light. They don't understand what's primary, Right? That makes sense. Okay, so I want I want to keep going along those lines, but that's just to show you these are real life things that are not being necessarily corrected because people just don't know, and they don't know what it looks like in the world. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So, all right. This is. Uh, this is what's interesting. Now, the enemy does everything he can to stop the transmission of life and light. Because once you get light, you can't be, you, you, the greater light you get, you just can't be messed with, really. Okay? As, as long as you receive that light, right? You can, hear light, you can hear truth or light and not receive it, of course. Uh, John talked about that in 1 John. He said, you if you walk, if, if you say you're of the light and you walk yet in darkness, then you lie and you deceive yourself, right? So anything that I get that's light and I don't walk in it, I'm deceiving myself on that point. You know, I'm saying I have fellowship with God, but do you understand the strength of that statement? If you, if you know something about God, if you know, like if I know I should do something and I don't do it, I don't have fellowship with Him in that area. You see how much deceiving there is that goes on in ourselves. You, sh- you should read 1 John 1 and 2, right? And just, I mean, it's amazing what, what he really says. That, um, if you know something about God and you know something's true, you're to do it, right? It, it's really interesting how much deception there is in the Christian, in the person, in ourselves, you know? Um, but and, and of course that blocks us on some level. I mean, it would have to, right? So um, think about this with me, if you will. He blocks the receiving of this light, and the way, or, or excuse me, he he tries to stop the transmission of light. And the way he does it is he blocks the gifts that are there to help preach the light. Okay. Because here's the thing, and, I, and, I, and again, I'm not trying to throw any ministry on the bus. This is the one I feel like I feel like was given to me as an example, and that is helps ministry, which again is a great ministry, and I participate in that at some level. Okay, but I want to say this: um, non-Christians also do helps. Does that make sense to you? But non-Christians don't preach truth. Non-Christians don't minister truth. You understand that? So it's just really obvious what is and what isn't. And like I said, I would, su- I would suggest to you that more people in America give charitable gifts to helps ministries 
than to word ministries. And yet one has non-believers doing it as well. The other doesn't. More than likely. Does that make sense? Okay. So think about that as we go forward. Now, so what he does is block the fivefold office so that it can't go forward. Now, we talked about that. Um, so then let me ask you the question here now. Why doesn't God, again, just force it? Well, we talked about light. We talked about light, right? God, God can't force the fivefold on his church. And this is something I think, and, and this is a side note, but I just want to say this. I don't think the Muslims have figured this out. And I don't mean that in a bad way, okay? What I'm saying, I don't think that they realize that that's like the discern, that's the line of demarcation because they believe that if they, if they force you against your will and you will confess Allah whatever, right? They'll leave you alone. But see, the one true God knows that nothing's changed in you because he understands that's not light. That's just fear of death. You see, you, it had, nothing's changed on the inside of you. There's been no loyalty. There's been no allegiance change. Right? It's totally outward. Am I right? And that's enough for them. But I'm going to tell you, it's not enough for him. The real God, that would never be enough for. Because he wants you to truly love him and want to serve him. He's not into forcing you to do anything. If that's all it was, he could force everybody to do everything. He could have done that to start with, right? This is about you honestly realizing how good he is, how much he loves you, and yielding to his plan and purpose for your life, right? Amen? So here's the key. What we have can't be lorded, if that makes sense. Matthew 20, 25 tells us um, a little bit about it. Matthew 20, 25, and um, let's see. Jesus told his guys, uh, he said, he called them to him and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Okay. Right? So, but, but that sounds good and everything. What's the point? Because men, because God has decided that men must come to truth through light, they must be enlightened and choose to receive it. He's not going to force any kind of truth or authority on anybody. He's not going to do it. That's not his way. So, and I will say that in churches... Because there were Balaams in churches and because there were ministers that didn't understand this principle, they have lorded it over people and turned many people against authority because they were so heavy-handed and so hard to deal with. Does that make sense? Now, it's no right for the people to quit honor and authority. We still serve God, right? So, but we have in a lot of ways. And we've blamed it on those ministers. But the truth is, God didn't say, you have the right to quit if they're bad to you. Did he? No, he said, you get persecution, 
you need to persevere, right? You run into troubles, you need to pray and continue. And so, again, though, we deceive ourselves and think we have rights to quit doing things because somebody hurts our feelings, right? Or we take offense, right? And we have no right to offense in the body of Christ. Again, because Jesus was not offended at us. So there is never a right for any Christian to take offense. You take offense, you're licensing your Savior to take offense at you and throw you out. I mean, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. We all sinned against Jesus. We all sinned against His Father. And He didn't take offense. He loved us. Right? And then we take offense. And we're taking what He's done for us, throwing it out, saying, yeah, I know you're that good, but I'm not going to do it. Amen? Okay, so the point being is the fivefold office cannot lord it over the people. It has to be received by the people as a gift. That makes sense. It's the only way God will let it work. It's the only way God will let it work. And that's a beautiful thing because if the people receive it, the gifts are powerful in their lives. Right? And so it benefits the office and it benefits the congregation. They're both benefited. Right? Isn't it great to have leaders that don't lord it over people? Leaders that literally are so gentle, you wouldn't know they were leading sometimes. When they tell you, you ought to do this, they actually say something like, hey, you know, I suggest you ought to look at it like this. And it doesn't even sound like it's coming with any authority whatsoever. And so many times people don't even think there is authority because the leaders are so submitted to God's way, right? Now, unfortunately, it's not like that (laughs) some places. And again, it turns some people against leadership, but it shouldn't, you know. Um, so the fact is no church leadership can wield power well I mean they can but not if they do it God's way right and I usually say it like this you've heard me say it I'm sure we're on the honor system right does that make sense because what's the honor system you look after yourself Whatever your position is, you look after yourself and God's looking at you. So it's like you and he's looking at you deciding whether you do what you're supposed to do, right? All right. So that's kind of what it is. Now, you can read more about that in Matthew 23 where he says, uh, he's talking to his leaders. He said, you won't be called a master or a guru. You won't be called a father. You won't be called a teacher. I don't want any of that. Now, understand this. What he's saying is don't call yourself. Don't call yourself one. And I say that to, to point this out. The difference in the leaders that Jude is talking about when he talks about the people like Cain, like Balaam, like Korah. If you read on down in Jude, what he says is these are those that separate themselves. In other words, God didn't give them any leadership. He didn't give them a fivefold office. They claimed it for themselves. Okay? And so, again, he's working on this right here. He says, look, don't call yourself rabbi. If you're truly a rabbi, you'll be called one. But let it come from the people. Why? Because you can't lord it. But if they honestly respond to who I am, they'll say it. Right? So we try to teach people, use the word apostle, use the word prophet, use the word pastor, but mean it. 
Because if you use it, then God hears you and he says, okay, that can be your shepherd. If you honor that office, that person's no different than anybody else. They can't do anything. But that office, Jesus Christ working through that person can change a lot. Amen? Okay. So, continuing on then, because we have a lot of stuff here. Um, Oops. Another way Satan blocks the fivefold. Okay. Now, I want you to read this with me, if you will. It's in 1 Corinthians. I want you to see a few things in terms of uh, finances. 1 Corinthians 9. This is what Apostle was up against. Um, This is what he was up against. Now, understand this, too, while you're turning, if you will, please. When you have... uh, when you have the people who've run riotously in the way of Cain and you have the people that have um, they've fallen into the era of Balaam and you have people that have perished in the rebellion of Korah, every one of those that wants to minister or is trying to undo ministry are taking away funding from ministry. Does that make sense? When the people give Balaam money, the false prophet money. What's happening? Well, they only have so much, am I right? So when they give their money to Balaam, do they have extra money to give to the real prophet? So Satan uses Balaam to do what? Steal from the real prophet and bless the false prophet. And most times Christians do what? We look at things naturally. We look at things in the natural So we look at facilities, we look at people, we look at their ability to buy things, to do things, this, that, and the other. And we tend to latch on to the ones that have the finances. And that's not always the case because many times they are the Balaam. Paul actually literally says this in Corinthians. He says, do you judge with your eyes? He literally says this. I'm telling you guys... Until you study this with this perspective, you never understood what this man was going, and all of them actually were going through. But anyway, let's let's look at First Corinthians nine. Now, this is uh, just to tell you how messed up sometimes perspective is. My Bible literally says a pattern of self denial. Okay, this is not a pattern of self denial. This is a pattern of just having to. I don't know what else to say, you know. Um, but let's look at it. He starts out, and he's, he's literally talking out of his head. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. You understand? The guy who wrote over a third of the New Testament was being examined by Christians. He was being doubted by Christians. His ministry was being picked apart by Christians. Can you hear that? You hear the frustration? It's like Jesus saying, how long have I got to be with you, you faithless generation? You hear it? My, he's having to defend. Dude, I'm serious. The guy wrote over a third of the New Testament. They won't accept anybody if they won't accept Apostle Paul. Can you hear me? (laughs) So he says, my defense to those who examine me is this. 
Now, what defense? That's a good question. Let's keep reading. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Well, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a right to eat and drink. You have to, right? So what's the context then? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles do, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, what are you talking about? Secular job, right? Because why? Because they're called to a spiritual job, right? So what's the guy saying? Is he, he's pretty much talking about money. Are you getting it? Okay. So he's saying they should have the right to eat or drink and the right to take along a wife as the others do. And this is what he says. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? And he says, okay, am I saying these things just in the natural, you know, just to, to, to take care of myself? Or does the law not say the same thing? Now, Paul reveals what the law means to us, and many people probably had never gotten this revelation before. In verse 9, for it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now he says, is it oxen that God is truly worried about? Many people up to that moment thought it was, guys. Let's be honest. They didn't have any idea what that verse was talking about. This is the fivefold ministry at work in front of your face. He's revealing what it meant and bringing light. Amen? Okay. Is God concerned about oxen? <laughs> Verse 10, or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. Verse 11, if we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap from your material things? That is a principle of the fivefold ministry. I'll stand before God and own this statement. Nobody truly in the fivefold ministry should work a secular job. I'm talking about the plan of God. I'm not saying they can't. They can do whatever they want. Paul did it. But it wore him out and beat him up. Right? But this is what it says. And I mean, the fivefold sows spiritual things. That's what they do for you. And what you do for them, what the congregation does for them is what? Let them be a partaker in their material things. Right. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? And then he says, nevertheless, we've not used this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now understand, the man has literally said it's the plan of God that you should be paid fully for the ministry. But he felt like he couldn't take what was the will of God. Why is that? That's rough. 
How many of you work at your job and are so happy to do your job and don't want to tarnish the reputation of your job, you don't take a check? I don't see any hands, but you're looking at a guy, Apostle Paul, who literally did that. It was such a mess. He said, I'd rather not take a check. Right? Okay. All right, so let's, let's continue on then. Verse, uh, let's do verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering? Right? Verse 4. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. How do you interpret that? Should they have another job? Those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. He says it's been commanded. He says, I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that, so, that it would be done for me. And this is what he says. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. He did not take any of these rights so that he could boast. And you find out in 2 Corinthians, his boast, he boasted about the fact that he did this everywhere he went because he felt like his boasting was the only thing that would separate him from the false apostles. Later on, I believe he finds out his boasting didn't make any difference. That the only thing that would have changed people would have been light. But it was legal for him to do. And I want you to understand, God allowed him to do it. And can you imagine at night if Paul cried out and said, God, I don't understand. Why am I having to do both? Why am I? And God's going, hey, brother, you took this on yourself. I'm just watching. I'm just watching. I want to see how far you're going to go with it. Now, God already knew, but I mean, it's still funny, right? Yeah. So, Let's keep looking at it. So Paul knew the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should live on it, but he chose not to so he could boast. Right? All right. Okay. Um, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. You understand what this guy was doing? Now, I would ask you a question really quickly. I'd ask you a question really quickly because you understand what he's owned up to. And, and the translation is pretty much correct. What's he saying? I want to be able to boast that I'm not taking money for what I'm doing, like these other people are, right? You got it? That's what he's saying. And he says, I may, so that I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. Did he really have authority in the gospel? Is he an apostle? Yes. Yeah. So he really did have authority in the gospel. But he also said that God commanded that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Am I right about that? So my question to you is, did Paul understand what he had just owned up to? Because if he truly had the right from God 
to live off what he was preaching, then would it have been an abusing of his authority to do it? No. He was missing it in this point. And in doing so, he was trying to protect the people in his own flesh, in his own natural understanding. He was saying, well, I don't want to run anybody off. I, I don't want them to take this wrong. You know, money's such a big thing with everybody. But he was failing to bring light. Right? I mean, he, 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 he knew a lot more, he knows a lot more than I do. I'm just saying, you know. But you see this and you say, well, we should learn from these things. We should definitely learn from these things, right? So um, let's, keep, let's keep going and, and, and we'll just see where he ends up. So, um, well, I mean, that's, I guess as far as I wanted to go right there. Um, he said, when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel without charge. And then he gives more information later on. And... Um, Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. So I want you to see where he starts. Remember, this is the first letter to the Corinthians. We're now going to the second letter to the Corinthians. And some time has elapsed there, and he starts talking a little differently. You understanding me? All right. Let's go 11.5. I consider I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech, yet not in knowledge. We've been thoroughly manifest among you in all things. Look at what he says in verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exhausted because, I mean exalted, because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Open question. He's not saying I did not commit sin. He's saying did I? I'm, I'm wondering now. Was that the right thing to do? I think we all know based on his previous statement, right? Look at what he says because he starts owning up to it even more here. I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Mm -hmm. So see, even his secular work was not enough to support him on the mission field. So he... He should have just given in and said, God, you got to take care of me, right? At some point, and, and he is doing that. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. Again, he's still fighting this battle to give in to the command that he quoted in 1 Corinthians 9. You understand it? Now, look, he's, he's, at, a, he's, at, a, he's at a crux. You know, he's at a crossroads because here's the thing, guys. These things don't happen overnight. Light doesn't come to a body of Christ overnight. So the problem is he's been going around this issue, not preaching it, not teaching it, doing it the natural way, working on the side, right? So all of a sudden now he starts talking about, hey, maybe I sinned and doing it. It's not going to just happen overnight, is it? He's still going to have to work some. He's still going to have to rob some other churches until this light. But what if you'd been doing this for years and given that light time to penetrate? And people to receive it. He'd be in much better shape now, wouldn't he? You agree? Yeah. 
So, and, and we can't, we can't, we can't let this get by us that Satan is working in this to block light. He does not want the fivefold ministry to be able to sustain itself the way God commanded and be able to work among the people. Does that make sense? Now, in Acts 6, the apostles, they, they found that their church grew so much that there was a food ministry that was taking place. And the Greek Jews started complaining against the Hebraic Jews because they said, our widows aren't getting their amount of food every day. And, and, the, and the, um, the Hebraic Jews are. And the apostles were trying to deal with this, and they're, they, they're dealing with the Word. That's their job. They're apostles. They're not, they're not in helps ministries, folks. You get it? So in, 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 in Acts 6-2, they finally said, hey, it is not desirable that we take a break from the ministry of the Word to distribute food, right? What are they setting the press? They're, they're, they're letting you understand that one is primary and one is an offshoot of the other, amen? And if that same thing applies everywhere we go, then we know automatically ministry of the Word is what God wants, right? Makes sense? Okay. So this is where... This is where you get 2 Corinthians 2.17, and I'll just touch on it. Please understand this. I'm not calling anybody one of these, but it, it exists, and you need to know about it. Okay. Can I say this too? When Paul says we, we, you see him saying we, he's not talking about the body of Christ. So many times in the body of Christ, we take every we to the whole group, okay? He's not doing that. When I've been reading, he's been saying we. He's talking about he and the other apostles and the ministers that work in their organization. He's not talking about the congregation. And most times when we post it on the wall somewhere, it's like it belongs to everybody. And he, he, it was never intended that way, okay? And I just want to say that. This is what he says, for we are to God the fragrance. I'm in, I'm in 2 Corinthians 2.15. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we're the aroma of death to death, and to the other the aroma of life to life. And then in verse 17 he says, For we are not... He's not, again, talking about the whole church. He's talking about the fivefold ministry. We are not as so many... Peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. If you've never understood this, and I guess we'll stop here. Let me, let me say this to you. What could that possibly mean? I should say again, the man who the Lord allowed to author pretty much a third at least of the New Testament, is openly stating that there's a difference between peddlers of the gospel and those that are graced and sent as from God. If you've never heard this and never understood this and you thought every church was the same and every preacher is the same, I've got to tell you, understand that that's a lie from Satan. The man said there were peddlers preaching. 
That would have to be a sin if it were not from the Holy Spirit for anybody to say that, wouldn't it? And yet, there it is. We should be trained to determine the difference between those who want to be and are peddlers and those who bear the weight and the grace and the understanding that they are sent. I would say it like this, and as somebody who, who ha- has had this feeling before, the Lord called me to write a book. Hadn't done it yet. Still trying to do it. Still doing all the research. But the thing of it is, is I hear people say all the time, well, the reason I wrote that book was this. So the reason I, I'm like, dude, there's a huge difference. I, I'm just telling you, there's a huge difference in seeing something in the Bible and deciding to write a book. Because it's neat. And I'm not saying that's wrong by any means. But it's just a huge difference in that. And God's saying in the middle of the night, you're going to write this book. This is the title. This is what you will do. There's a weight there. There's a heaviness there. There's a responsibility there that doesn't belong to the one that said, oh, that's cool. I think I'll write a book on that. I feel like it must be the same way in ministry. that makes sense? And it is in, in every other occupation as well. If you know God called you to be a school teacher and you know he did, that's a much heavier weight than somebody who had three or four opportunities to just say, eh, I think I'll just do teaching. Mama was a teacher. It's such a difference. And one is devoted to the children and the other is there for a check. I mean, sometimes, not always, but you understand the difference. Am I right? Why is the church not smart enough or savvy enough or have enough light to discern these differences and not be misled? Make sense? Yeah, the enemy's working. He is working. And so I would encourage you, whoever you listen to online, make sure that that grace is there, right? So I know everybody, whoever you watch on TV, make sure that grace is there. Don't discern it by sight. What does it do for you? Is it changing you? And is it producing fruit according to what God says, right? Everything we do should be based on that, right? Everything we do should be based on that. I love you. We're going to get off of this thing and do something fun, but we got to finish it. I don't think we're done yet. So, Father, we just praise you. I just thank you so much. You said you called light to come forth from darkness, Lord. All of us are here to serve you in whatever way you've called us, and we were all darkness before. And, Lord God, now we're light. We're filled with light. I pray that you would begin to pull light out of darkness. And I pray that the people in our lives will begin to pull that light out of us. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your light go forth. Let your light shine. Let life inundate everyone in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let us be filled with your integrity and your character, your person, Father. In Jesus' name, just filled with it. Filled with it. May we be filled with who you are. Thank you. Father, I pray that if anybody asks, 
Make them a child of the kingdom today. If they say, you know, I'm really not sure that I did it, they would just say, Lord, I, I, I believe, God, that you sent Jesus to die in my place. I believe it. And let them confess it under their lips. And we know their name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life forever. And Father, if they need that greater life, if they would just call on you and say, Father God, through Jesus Christ, baptize me in your spirit. Give me the greater life, superabundant life. We know you'd do it. Because your word says, how much more will he give the spirit to those who ask? Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.